Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Fred, what's happening this week? This week, something a little different. We are chatting to Ashwin and Lee, two creators from different fields who came together to take on YouTube. Ashwin just walked out there with his uniform on, whipping everything. <laughs> Dead silent. Yes. The audience didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it was super sex pest. <laughs> yeah, that was the start of the show. That yes. opened the show. Yeah, and I have to try and recover from that. Mm, I wonder how that went. Well, not really that well, but the reason this story is interesting is that Ashwin was one of the first viral successes on YouTube. His first video at the dawn of YouTube, that's like 2005 YouTube, went viral with over 10 million views. But since then, he's never really been able to replicate that. So Lee and Ashwin teamed up to start a new series called World News with Cats about a group of house cats that read the world news. Fred, that sounds like YouTube gold, but I'm not giving it away to say it wasn't. You have a really interesting conversation with these guys about learning from that failure, collaborating and really making a great team, and a bit about the misconceptions around virality. I did indeed. Frederico, before we get started, we've been working really hard in the background on our own online course called Changer College, the online college just for content creators. Check it out at changercollege.com. That's C-H-A-N-G-E-R college.com. Let's get into it. We have Lee, we have Ashwin, uh, two YouTube creators, YouTube creators, and they've had a interesting and checkered history on the platform, and they're going to talk to us a little bit about it's not that. Really checkered, it's just it's- one flat color, <laughs> <laughs> which which included some viral success, um, a couple of different projects, and now onto a new one. I like how you some viral success. <laughs> Different projects. Can I just clear it up? Also, it was one viral success. <laughs> and one different project. <laughs> yes. so. That's all we've done in 10 years. Yeah. Right. All right. We've learned a lot. Let's have a chat about that. Let's, let, let's talk about where it all began. Um, Ashwin, you were the first onto the platform back in the early days of YouTube. Yeah, 2005. I was in an Indian boy band and we just put a song up on YouTube. By accident, really, we thought, okay, this is this new platform. It's come out. It's the new Hotmail. Hotmail had just taken off. YouTube was the next big online brand. And we thought, well, let's use it. Let's put our Indian boy band music up there. And we stuck up a song, The 12 Days of Christmas, which was just a summary of all the stereotypes, the racist things that we heard growing up. And, yeah, people people were into it. Yeah. They were. <laughs> Millions of people. It, were it actually did really well, right? And it ended up with about what? Back then, what, 10 million views? It climbed up to 10 million, but the first million came in three weeks right. and then it just slowly petered out like things do. It petered up after that. But yeah, just people started sharing it. I think at that time people were sharing in into their inboxes a lot. So just workmates were sharing it around. Uh, at, you know, actually, I saw that video before I knew you and it came to me in exactly that way. I threw the email, a friend said, check this out. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and now it's become a bit of a ritual for people. I look at the comments sometimes and people say, oh, I watch this every Christmas. This is just, and I've, this was the first thing I saw on the on YouTube. And so it's become a little bit of a ritual for people. And it's bittersweet for me because I thought, oh, this will, this was a fun thing. I was in my early 20s. I thought, oh, this will be my life now. <laughs> I can make a living as an Indian boy bander. Mm. And my eyes lit up at that prospect. And then I realized it was really hard to make a living in an band Indian boy is, band. Band is an interesting because it was just you, wasn't it? No, there's two friends. Um, two fr- but yeah, I was I was the one pitching it and selling it and doing all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't really, it was a cartoon boy band because I don't have actual musical skills. And that's the benefit of YouTube. You don't actually need much personal talent. 
That's true. Is that true? Now this you skipped over. Now you met in AA, <laughs> but it was Ashrams Anonymous. <laughs> okay, yeah. In India. Yes. Yeah, we were just uh, all lost. It was yeah. an eat, love, pray thing, and we are just lost. And we found but each how, other. How did you meet, actually meet you? They w- I had just moved to Brisbane, and these were two. There was an Indian function, like the, an Indian badminton tournament. And I went along to this Indian badminton tournament, and there were these two guys there. And I found out they played music, and I said, oh, I play music as well. So we just started jamming well, no, together. Uh, first, I'm sure you made a joke. Who's grabbed by a shuttlecock? <laughs> no, because we won't even do. Oh, it was also I forgot to mention this was a Christian Indian badminton tournament. No shuttlecock. No shuttlecock jokes. No dirty jokes at all. And so we just hung out, started playing awful music together, jazz music, which apparently isn't popular. Did you guys know jazz is not the thing it was in the thirties? Well, it's not the thirties anymore, so I presume so. It's yeah. I think we need more jazz. <laughs> I think so. It's really good for the soul. I feel like jazz should be a new cool lingo. Like that's really jazz. That was something people said. In the 30s. Yeah, in the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. Ashwin, so <laughs> you, guys, you guys met at a Christian badminton tournament. Yes, Christian badminton tournament. Christian Indian badminton tournament. No Christian, you know, English people or anything there. They were welcome, but they just didn't turn up. And we, we started hanging out playing music, but the music wasn't working for us. So one day, I think we decided to do the 12 Days of Christmas. We said, let's do a Christmas song. And we put together this Christmas song, recorded it, and I took CDs. To, I sent CDs to all the local Brisbane stations, and nearly everyone ignored me, except one, the Christian station, ninety six five in Brisbane, played it, and they thrashed it over summer. They were playing it every every day. Sorry, this is the Twelve Days of Christmas yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They had a big board meeting apparently, where the station was divided as to whether to play it or not, because it can come across as a little bit racist. Because it is all the stereotypes we heard. So are we being ironic or do we really mean it? It's it's confusing. Yeah. And so they played it. And then people would come into the station and buy the CD. So we were giving them CDs to give to people. So I just started to get this radio momentum that I'd never seen before. I would never knew anything about that world. Mm. And then I thought, okay, what else can I do? And we did an animation the next year. I had a friend who animated videos and he made a Christian Indian boy band that looked like us, except he forgot noses. So none of us have noses, which is, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's what we look like to him, but um, so that's, that's what he made for us. And then we just put that up on YouTube mm. and uh, yeah, that's it, sort of, a, you know, it went viral from there. And there was no strategy around it. He just basically said, we are going to create something. It's going to be fun and interesting. And yeah. we're going to put it up. There. Yes. And ever since then, I've tried to strategize or, you know, just think what would people be interested in? What would they like? Yeah. Uh, let's share it. And none of that has worked. But, I mean, that's interesting because that first video was done on a whim and there was no strategy involved, but obviously there was viral success. I, in a time where virality on the platform was more common, right? Um, but at the same time, do you know why it was virally successful? Apart from your radio plays, do you know why you think you got to where you did? I just think it was catch a catchy concept. You know, sometimes you you realize oh, that concept really summarizes everything in a very digestible format. And that was just 12 days of Christmas, which everyone knows. And it was 12 stereotypes. There's heaps of Indians. There's a massive Indian diaspora that could can relate to it. So it was just very pithy and it just seemed to connect with people. So they, they shared it. And you release it around Christmas time. December, late 
November or October, I think. So it's about that ramp up time to Christmas when people were searching for Christmas carols. Yes, that probably was happening as well. Yeah, interesting. Cool. So after that, obviously, you achieved viral success when viral success was something that was very new on the platform. And what happened after that? I tried to make it bigger. So I tried to liaise with record labels to see if they wanted to pick it up as a song. So I was talking, had a meeting with a couple, I probably can't say like labels in town and just nothing went anywhere. And it's, this is what I realized. It's so hard to grow a creative product. It's so hard to make it in the creative industries. So even though we'd had this viral success, it's very hard to build it up. And then I started to meet production companies because I really wanted to make a cartoon out of it. Mm. We had three minutes of animation. I wanted to make a TV series out of it. So a, a cartoon series based on the characters, not just the song. Yeah, the characters. Yeah. yeah. So to grow up. But then, you know, it costs a lot of money to make one of those. So you have to get yeah. someone in the world to put up a lot of money. And that's that was a really difficult process. So I moved to England for a year just because I wanted to get out of Australia. And I was liaising with production companies and and it was just yeah. In the end it was too hard to turn that cartoon into a TV show. So back then what did um like traditional agencies and you know labels think of youtube success how, how much weight do they assign to that i think it caught their attention more than anything this was before their artists were really using youtube a lot so it got their attention but that was just a foot in the door mm. uh, i don't think they thought too much more of it and also you know it was probably a few years before they were ready for it, it was the wet the media was still very anglo-saxon in 2005 mm. this is before you know, Hassan Minaj and this this kind of new wave of Indian comedians. It's still very white. And a lot of the TV people we're talking to mm. were thinking, oh, the world's not quite ready for Indian content. It's a bit too niche. Mm. Um, like, yeah, the only thing out there was the Kumars was around and they kind of owned that live action Indian comedy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit early as well. The timing wasn't quite right. Yeah. Obviously now the, you know, the Indian – Indian content is blowing up in a big way and the biggest channels on YouTube are all Indian channels. Um, so you were maybe <laughs> a little bit before your time. Yes, you know? yeah. And, and India did pick it up, Channel V in India, right. which was the main, they played it across Asia and India and they loved it. And so, yeah. Did you see any return from that, them playing it? No, this is the other part. Of this this industry is full of sharks mm. and you know, it, would have play, it was played on radio stations around the world. Um, and it was played in all sorts. I'm not saying Channel V themselves, but other radio stations certainly should have been paying royalties for playing it. Mm. But we never saw anything, and it was hard to collect that money. Yeah. So, okay, so you had viral success, tried to launch something else off it, didn't get very far, maybe the wrong time, I guess. So what did you do after all that sort of didn't go anywhere? Yeah, after I had so much trouble trying to make a TV show, I thought this is too big, and, and you have to make so many people happy. You are constantly jumping through hoops, dressing up in your little suit. I dress up in my suit to go to meet with executives. And that's not me. Like, I'm not a suited person. One day I went to meet um, a screen agency in the UK and I, I had a suit on that I think I must have bought for the occasion. And then I, I went after the meeting, I realized my label was still stuck on the wrist. Oh. <laughs> and then I was like, I wonder if she saw that. <laughs> so I thought, I'm, this is not for me, this world. Uh, I need to go back, take my suit off and just be myself again. And so I realized though, stand-up comedians were getting all of the work as TV writers and script writers. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll get into stand-up comedy and then I'll be taken more seriously as a writer. And so that's why I got into stand-up as plan b yeah so he went back to something a little bit more mainstream 
Yeah, it is more mainstream, and it's also, I was cutting out the middleman. That's what I enjoyed the most of it. I wasn't having to impress anyone. Didn't have to wear a suit. Didn't have to get an executive to green light it. It's just me and the audience, Yeah, and I can write something and take it onto stage, and I, I really like that directness. Mm. Yeah. Right. And I guess, Lee, you also started with a more traditional focus in film and TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I mean, what was your aspiration when you decided to get into the industry and General, like strip writing. What made me want to get into storytelling was definitely the thought of being able to convey something to people that maybe can impact some lives. You were always always interested in film uh, specifically and writing for that and creating something around that. It, it evolved. So I personally don't care what the medium is. So whether it's a film, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a YouTube show or a podcast whether it's a novel, whether it's a song, just anything creative. To me, it's all about what is the most suitable medium to convey the message that you want. Mm. It's changed a bit now because we're in the heyday of TV, but definitely film at the time when we were at uni was certainly, that was a place where you thought, I'm going to get the biggest impact. I just have to create one script. Once it's bought, once it's made, I'll reach the widest possible audience. Mm. And so that seemed to be the most logical step. It was also the most competitive and very different from today where anyone can grab a camera or an iPhone, film a film themselves if they've got enough talent and enough creative people to help them and then publish it themselves. Mm. So I think, you know, for me it's always been about storytelling. That's always been the crux of everything that I've wanted to do, particularly in film but also in TV or or uh, whatever the best, most suitable medium is. And then where did you two meet? I don't remember this story at Actually, it was when we did Creative Direction. Uh, so right. I remember, as I'm sure everyone listening would remember <laughs> that show, was Farad and I started off with, well, you came to with the idea of Johan. Yeah. And then from there it became, it was a two-man interview. And then we said, let's flesh this out into a more character-driven show. And that was when you said, I'm going to bring in Ashwin. He's a funny guy that, well, how did you meet Ashwin? Yeah, so I'll... Explain to the viewers, listeners and viewers a little bit more about this. So when I transitioned out of uh, digital media and wanted to work more with um, video, I came up with this concept around uh, a digital agency and the stories that happened around that because I came from a digital agency. Um, And, you know, the creative director and the partners involved and the stories and how they evolved, um, particularly based around all the mad you know, client stories you hear over the years. So that was the idea for a web series when, you know, web series were just becoming a thing. Um, And I put that idea together with Lee and we initially filmed it as a one-on-one interview. That's correct. Yeah. Um, And then we developed it from there. And I met Ashwin through another colleague of mine who introduced us and he came on board from that. Well, why you came to me was because you remember when we were at uni, I would always duck out of lectures and print out film scripts before I had Robert McKee's story and the other film script writing story, mm. like n- books. It was just find any script that you could online and print it out. And I remember you would come and watch me printing out for free. I'm pretty sure I'm the reason you st- they started to charge people for printouts because it was free and I printed out at least 20 film scripts. You just, equal poverty brings people together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, th- and then, and knowing that I was writing books and, yeah, well, and probably also a lack of options. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, you didn't know anyone else. But I also feel like, and this is something that I feel when you're a writer of any medium, whether it's film, not whatever the medium is, 
you have to have an opinion and you have to be courageous in your opinion and not be apologetic for your opinion. Because if you're going to tell a story to someone and you sound hesitant or unsure or uncertain, no one is going to listen to you. Like you have to have conviction and having been in so many situations, not just in writing, but with anyone I meet, sometimes too forcefully showing my opinion into people's faces, I think it's dangerous in one way, certainly in social settings, but it's also advantageous when you're writing something because you need to know what you're what are you trying to say and say it with conviction so i suspect that because i'd always had that as one of my attributes it probably without ever saying it to you was something that made you think all right well at least hence why i was the wacky creative director because you knew i have no shame yeah (laughs) i'm just gonna do whatever (laughs) is required yeah i mean that was an interesting process we initially when when we conceptualized it it was almost like um half hour tv um, mm. was a pilot was how we're looking at it and then we in thinking about it more thought okay let's make this a web series and we broke that up but there wasn't much strategy going into that we uh, actually filmed it as a half hour of tv and then realized well it's going to be much better as a web series and ended up breaking it up more and then augmenting it with more content also um, it was a lot easier because you didn't need to go through a studio exactly you just did it yourself yeah and that's what that, that was when we first sort of really took a for, i mean you and me especially took a look at what youtube could offer um in terms of that um pathway that access to this big global viewership right i think what we underestimated though was you know the level of complexity involved around that and also the fact that you're vying for attention from so many other creators yeah how well. do you get seen when exactly. you're one yeah. drop in an ocean. And then obviously after that, I've pretty much dedicated my professional career to, <laughs> to developing understanding that. Yeah. Yeah, understanding that. Um, but so that was an interesting point. That's where we, the three of us met. And then you and Ashwin collaborated from there. Yeah. We still so I think have similar personalities. We're, yeah. fi- we're kind of man-childs. Oh yeah. I think. And that sort of helps us as it, because you know, we've, we've grown up, we like our music and our comedy and you know, you make dirty jokes and I make, Dirty jokes. Yeah. You make more dirty jokes than I do, but just there's something about that. that I feel like we come from different angles. And there's probably other a good message when you're putting together a team, and this is going to be in any business book, but they always say if you're putting together a team, you want to get everyone having a shared vision, but you do not want – I mean, yes, you're similar to a degree, but we all bring something unique to that dynamic. Yeah. And when, yeah. you're, when you want people to – I mean, it's the same as the, any archetype for a TV show when you look at Seinfeld Friends. Everyone has an archetypical personality – Disparate personalities, but all come together and share a single vision. Yeah, mm. like interracial breeding. <laughs> like everyone brings something. <laughs> I, like, I think, look, that's a good point, and it's a big issue. The interracial guess, breeding point. <laughs> not the interracial breeding, but the, the collaborators with the different points of view. Um, with a lot of creators, that tends to be a, a, a key aspect, of the teams they put together. And a lot of success has been seen because the people in the teams complement each other so well, but they bring different skill sets um, in the in into the into the show um and some you know creators that haven't done as well is because the team isn't dynamic enough and it hasn't got those different points of view um but you know what would you say to people who end up in a situation where they might be in a team that's just not working because they lack that diversity break it up i mean there's uh, that sounds harsh but i actually say that without any sort of i'm not being facetious i think You want to work with friends, I get that. But at the same time, if a team isn't working, you don't just keep pushing the team into the ground. Like sometimes you have to make those hard decisions and maybe there's something else each person could do. It's not about firing them and setting them all off. But Yeah, and Ashwin, I mean, obviously you guys worked in a team early on. You had two or three friends you worked with to do that Boy Mongoose show. What was the dynamic like between you guys? I 
I think it was harder for me because I was not a Christian. You know, I was working with these two Christians. So we were at different tastes. Like I wanted to go a little bit edgier and more adults well, with the cartoon. You were a Satanist, so that <laughs> yes. was quite a and, difference. Yeah, and they weren't into sacrificing at that stage. So it's just hard. And they, so we, we had creative clashes, I think. So we had to blend into this sort of clean zone, um, which worked out well. I mean, 12 Days was popular, so it was fine as a clean thing. But it was it was hard, and this is something I have had to train at because with stand up, it's just me, so it's a very lone wolf art form, and you just and I often don't write in a group; I'll write alone, just because whatever's inside I think comes out more easily when I'm just alone and writing. Mm. So then, or masturbating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just the shortest path. Um, so working in a team, uh, it's hard. It's hard to get teams to to have chemistry and. And if you can't make it work, I say do stand up and you can be in alone. You can be by yourself doing your own thing. But if you are going to make a team work, it is it's very tricky. It is. And I think a lot of people don't know when to call it quits. They just keep pushing, 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 and they end up in a pretty tricky place. And the question um, is, is it the, is it the idea that didn't work or is it the team? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, YouTube has seen a lot of crazy ideas do very well because the creators behind them had something or the teams behind them had something. Um, Often, I mean, we always we see the problem being more around execution than it is around necessarily the idea, um, because you know YouTube is a very big place, and somewhere out there you'll find a niche for your content and an audience to watch it, providing you're able to you know get those fundamentals in place. And but like I said, one of the big things for us is that is the team aspect. And I'm very interested in that because obviously you two work well as a team, and since then you've done a, a bunch of different things. You know, they've been on a live show. You're working on a new uh, series. Um, but I think that learning aspect around teams and creative teams is, is, is a key element, especially for a lot of YouTubers who start, you know, uh, as um, these ad hoc teams without really giving it much thought. Yeah. I, I, sorry, you go. I was just going to say, like, in terms of putting together a team and when to know it's time to call it quits, the best thing to do before you start filming anything is have a meeting with everyone together. Mm. It's like when you're putting together a band, right? You always start by sharing your influences so that you can see if we like the same things. If you feel like in the first one, two, three meetings, no one's gelling even in the coming up with the idea or how are we going to do this, it's pretty hard to think that when you get in there and start filming it, you're going to get a cohesion. Fred, let's take a quick break here and just give ourselves a big plug. We are super excited by this new initiative. We have created the Changer Creator College. The Creator College, quite simply, is a place where you can get a whole bunch of online courses, including our brand new Accelerate course for YouTube, designed to help emerging and new creators become even better on the world's biggest video platform. The reason we think it's pretty good is that it's not just our opinions, but the opinions of a bunch of really great creators and experts coming together to give you a very logical structured course damn right it is the college just for creators so check it out at changeacollege.com that's c-h-a-n-g-e-r college.com i do recall you and some friends had an idea about a panel on popular culture and film you wanted to put together that was a team that gravitated naturally because there are some people who and this is how you pick your best friends, right? If you don't see them for 10 years, you pick up a conversation like the last one was just the day before, not 10 years before. Mm. And we've always been like that when it came to really nerdy stuff like your Star Wars and those types of shows because mm. we're just massively into pop culture. Mm. So we thought, well, we get so much out of these conversations. So what What if we shared that with people? Mm. We, we know what we want to talk about. 
in terms of topics of Star Wars, let's just talk about it. Now, the problem with Star Wars in particular is that it is the probably the most competitive field in terms of podcasts because there are probably thousands of podcasts on Star Wars. And so it was one of those things where why did it fizzle out? Well, we started to feel like it was just too competitive. We we had a lot of passion for it, but uh, this is a, a big danger as well. Everyone has to be equally committed to put in the time. Yeah, You can't commit to something for a week or two. It has to be something that you've got to commit to for 52 weeks. Mm. You know, you've got to keep going at it because people want to get regularity and, and especially if they subscribe. Mm. So life was taking people to different directions and I think that's another thing. Everyone has to be equally committed because you don't want to be one person trying to wrangle everyone. Oh, it's our time to do it now, especially in the early days when there's very little ROI in terms of monetary reward um, you're really doing it for the passion and the love of it, and it's hard for people to continue that momentum if they're not seeing instant gratification. That was the same problem for Boy Mongoose. Like, creatively, um, the guys I was working with were, were very committed. They did most of the music. That, the music was their area, and then I would do the vocals. But then actually trying to pitch it and sell it, because they weren't from a marketing background, mm. that was my job to market the show. Mm. And after a few years of grinding and flying, I was in Malaysia talking to the state agencies there for funding, then in Ireland, and then going up and down and doors opening, doors closing. It just gets exhausting when you're alone, getting those doors slammed in your face. And after a couple of years, when it's just you, like you say, you just you run out of steam. Mm. I think that's why we gravitated towards each other because we both recognized that shared passion and we were prepared to, yes, it might mean you're doing a 15, 16 hour day. That could be a short day with full-time work and then, you know, doing this on the side. Um, But we both recognized, okay, we're both committed. We're both going to put the time in. As soon as you can share that load, it becomes so much easier. Plus you feed off each other's enthusiasm. And even though you might not see that instant gratification, you're learning so much as you do it. You start to learn what works, what doesn't work. Yes. And there's so many ingredients that go into success in terms of a team. Yeah, that's right. I think you do need an an ally. I feel like as well, and Friday you can probably chime in here with some expertise, but because it's so easy to upload something to YouTube – Previously, if you had to go to a studio to pitch your idea, there was so much education that was required. There was so much experience that was needed. You couldn't just say to them, put this on the air. They would need to screen it. You'd have how many people that want to review it to see whether it's appropriate. And I think the danger is that because there's this ease with YouTube, people aren't prepared to put in the time in the pre-work to get good at their craft. And so I think you're getting a lot of amateur content because people aren't, coming to it with the discipline that was previously required for commercial TV or film or, you know, whatever it might be that was 10, 20 years ago, the, the way to get in the industry. Mm. I think it's just that ease comes with a bit of um, danger because there's this complacency that comes with it and people aren't prepared to put in that work. Yeah. And look, I mean, a lot of uh, YouTube channels have started, just start in a very amateur way and still see success. But one thing that sets a lot of successful creators apart is that ability to keep working at it and keep getting better and, like you said, focusing on craft because a lot of people have that intrinsic instinct built in. Most people have that. It's just, you know, you combine that with craft and commitment and you, you can create something more. And if you're working in, in the right team, that could, you know, could really add to something um, really special um, if, that, if the, the, the match is right. So it's, it's a big area uh, and it's one I think that um, a lot of people come up with some really great ideas and some wonderful concepts that would, I think, do really well on the platform but they lack either the right team or the right or the right commitment to make that um, actually happen 
Um, and that, you know, one of the ways we look at it is like we look at YouTube as an entrepreneurial pursuit, right? We like an, an entrepreneurs in business to entrepreneurs in YouTube because of that um, creativity and that diligence you need in order to make it happen. Um, so you're absolutely right about that. But look, after you guys went through a couple of different things, I mean, you did come together and do um, a show together, which is half live show, half video, uh, and that did very well generally, um, which you're looking to now take on the road a bit longer. I assume you're talking to the wildly successful World News with Cats? No. <laughs> okay. You can see why I'm, I'd be I'm confused. I'm talking about the, the beats, the, the rhythm. Oh, are you talking about Stick Creature, the show? Stick Creature. Oh, oh so, no, yes. that's actually, that's why I was a bit confused because like, Fred used to crap on World News with Cats. Why is he <laughs> saying Never it spoke about it that positively. No. Yeah. No, that he was. used to call it shit news with cats. Yeah, was the, the show we shall not mention. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will mention it in a second. Okay. But I want to talk about uh, So Stick, Stick Creature, that was a stand up comedy show from two years ago where Lee and I, yeah, we've done this a couple of times now, did a, a live one hour show together. It was about the history of rhythm and how it's died. We used to be so funky. Like, let, let, let's give him a beat just now. So I don't know. See, that's how, see how rhythm is crap now. <laughs> like that's what's become. Well, not that rhythm. That no, was not that was amazing. Angry. But yeah, it's di- it used to be complex polyrhythmic Africans. You'd have six drummers at once, and now it's gone to and just everything's four four time. Yeah, four four exactly. Three so four if you're lucky. It was a show with a strong with that concept anyway. It was about the death of rhythm. And it was really about people though. Again, that's communication. Yes, communicating yeah. through. It was half live, and it had a visual and video. Well, it was ninety percent live. Yeah. We filmed. Was it three? Video sketches. Video, video sketches that you yeah. could interact with as if it was, that was also part of the live show. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing in stand-up comedy. People are trying to get more multimedia. And I find it's very hard to make it smooth because multimedia can be very clunky. Here's my PowerPoint presentation. Here's a family photo. Here's a video. Making it smooth as if it's not even multimedia anymore. It's just a seamless flow of me talking. And here's some imagery and here's some sound. If you can get that flow... That's that's the perfect. That way was where to do a team it. was useful because that saved you from having to be on there with a clicker. Yes, you, we'd rehearsed that so many times so that it was very. I knew exactly all the cues to cue the video. Yes, you know, being in the booth gave me the advantage of the bird's eye. Uh, and we had a sound man who didn't know when to play the stripper music as I came on and started stripping and playing and that rubbing a, a towel between my legs. One of the funniest things ever was yes. we picked a Barry White song for Ashwin to come out in so that it justified why was he walking out in a schoolboy's uniform as a dominatrix, but he forgot to push the cue. And without so Barry White... Ashton just walked out there with his uniform on, whipping everything, <laughs> dead silent. Yes. The audience didn't know what was going on. Yeah, it, it was super sex pest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the start of the show. That yes. opened the show. Yeah, and I have to try and recover from that for the next yeah. 55 minutes. <laughs> uh, but look, I mean, the, the thing about that was, um, obviously you'd had that chemistry then, and the show obviously was successful, based on a, on, in a good part, because of the skill and chemistry. Yeah, it was both, both sold out. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, I know after that you then turned back to trying to do a series, a, a, a video series, um, which was world, which is the the marvelous, <laughs> the infamous, and now defunct international <laughs> world news with cats. Yes. Okay. Uh, just tell me. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> what that's about. Ash, tell me what world okay. news with cats. Well, obviously, it's about. two ferrets reading the news. Um, <laughs> so we we just set it up. I don't know. I was sitting at home one day and thought, wouldn't it be weird if two cats. If a cat read the news or something, it was summarizing the world news. I just talked to, to you about it. I'm not sure 
how we ended up talking about it. Yeah. But that was the concept of the show is two cats with very different personalities give you a summary of the world news from that week, but with an absurdist take, so it would veer off to strange sketches and Because the two outs. cats doing it wasn't actually absurd enough. <laughs> no. So, um, so that was the concept, and for some reason the internet didn't like it. What I like, though, is that when you pitched it to me, we'd, we were on the same wavelength because you were like, it's about two cats reading the news. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, what else? Like, it just, there was no question about it. I'm just like, how, where are the cats going to be? What yeah. are the cats' characters? And this is something I found with Boy Mongoose as well. This is, comes back to it. My sense of humor is a bit more surreal and weird often than the people I work with. And it happened, I think, with that um, creative direction show as well. I like the stranger comedy. And sometimes the people like more... I don't know, true to life realist realism in their jokes. And so World News with Cats was strange. And that's why I really enjoyed it. It really was the opposite of Creative Direction, which had a very cohesive narrative. Mm. World News with Cats, I, the idea, and Ashwin, because you wrote, basically you wrote the first draft and then I would just you know contribute bits here and there and do all the editing. But it was one of those things where it was, um, and this potentially is why it didn't work as well, is because it was the opposite of cohesion. It was just... A disillusion of yes. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a good it's a, it's a case study we actually used in a lot of <laughs> a lot of events that we talked to um, people about um, because it's really interesting because you had a dynamic team you had people who worked well together yeah, it was just us yeah but you you know you had a proven partnership you you, you know you knew each other well um, you knew your strengths and weaknesses and the concept you know basically telling world news from the perspective of two house cats you know, YouTube is a place where that can happen. You know, you can talk about regular uh, news events and add your cat flair to that. But, you know, you did this show for five months on a weekly basis and it still didn't really go anywhere. Um, and there were some interesting elements around that that I think probably like, when we look at it from a you know a perspective of like um, what makes a good show, there were some things obviously missing from that. So while you did have all those key elements, it's a workable idea, you had a good team, um, you were very committed to it, it still didn't go somewhere. And I think that sometimes frustrates other YouTubers who try to do something that, you know, I'm so committed to my channel, but it's not going somewhere because it's missed some of these key elements. And it has to have some of these key elements for a channel to succeed. Um, And what did you feel you were missing from that? I mean, yes, you've outlined the fact that it was particularly odd and it lacked cohesion week to week and that lack of continuity when I looked at it was obviously it was obviously a big factor the biggest thing we were missing was um, viewers yes. <laughs> that was probably the largest yeah. if I could we just had that one viewer who really liked it in international Canada. yeah she, but yeah was I just a US firefighter yeah. who was devastated yeah if we had another 10 million of her we would have been great <laughs> and they're out there somewhere we just couldn't find 10 million of her but I, I just think for me it was it was too odd and it was for most people, for a mainstream audience. And just, I don't know, because I like scattergun humor of just hitting people from one direction to the next. Almost, I'm not saying um, we're Robin Williams, but you know, that's his style on stage where he scatterguns from one tangent to the next, that tangent to tangent style. And I like that tangent to tangent style. So I assume that that would be okay, but I think. Maybe that's not okay for a lot of people. That's It's just too disconcerting. I mean, there were so many questions. Is it that people weren't ready to watch that? Because it was, was it a length thing? Was it that it was too short? Was it that it was too long for that scattergun? Was it that it was, people weren't prepared to watch something that erratic on their phone or on their iPad versus watching it on the TV? Was it, because we were very consistent in that it was unpredictable. 
the only consistence were that you and I were going to start off the show and end the show in cat masks at a desk. And then it just jumped into a lot of cutaway and we used green screen for, it ended up being what, 75, 80% of it just yeah. to just sort of put some more context behind the sketches. So you would set up a premise. Really, it was just like this every week. Mm. Welcome to World's with, World News with Cats. We'd have an intro that would be something that my cat character would do to ruin the show. That would always be the start before we went to the title. And then you would start a news program. And this is another thing. They weren't always current world news stories. Some of them were just ones that, you know, could have been a few years ago, but you realized there's sketch potential to this. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was another thing. People were going to watch a current world event, which we never stipulated it was going to be, but they weren't getting that. They were getting maybe something from like a year or two ago. Um, But the sketches were really the meat of it. And uh, really the mandate was it doesn't matter how outrageous it was. So you had us on an asteroid once back in time flying towards the earth. You know, we, we were experimenting. Well, I definitely was experimenting with editing. So it was actually a very good learning process because I wanted to see what sort of, how could I push the effects that one person can do in really two or three days after a full-time job. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of like great, I, like it certainly was nothing that I don't think either one of us, one of us regrets because we proved when we committed to something, we'll put the time in every week. We met our deadline every week for almost half a year. Look, in, in itself, it's, it's, I, when I talk to people about this concept, the first thing they tell me is I would really like to see that. You know, because they look at you, you know, oh, the world needs a cat, and they're doing these quirky things and talking about it from this point of view of house cats. I think they associate the memeish culture that's come up around cats, and they think about, well, this could be really funny seeing cats talk about world news. But I think the promise of that wasn't delivered in the show because it was so obscure and it kept changing. Yeah. So your format wasn't consistent enough week to week. That's right. It wasn't a character-based show. It was more of a sketch show. So they weren't yep. getting the characters of Tim and and shelter cat and if we had just sat there reading the news in our characters and just making jokes off it with no cutaways i don't know whether that would have been better or not Hmm. i don't think it would have been as much fun to do yeah and my brain likes the sketch comedy writing rather than character-based humor i find that a bit sometimes can be a bit dry and subtle i like to just go for the asteroid with a t-rex on it yeah yeah that also is where a good team is because i do like character-based comedy you really love the sketch-based comedy and when we come together, I mean, in this case, we just went all sketch-based, but there's definitely the potential to come together and find a happy medium. Yes. And I think surrealism, I've realized from the stand-up as well, is a very dangerous chemical and you can really burn yourself and burn the audience with it. You have to handle it very carefully to get them on board. You have to really sort of seduce the audience a bit and give them just the right amount um, for them to come with you. Mm. And look, I mean, like you said, the um, the content, it, it, there was some remarkably weird moments in it. Um, well, and we wrote our own songs. Yeah. And look, there was, and that was the other element. So a couple of things that we, we pointed out. One was the format was wildly inconsistent. Um, two, the production elements that was, you know, used green screens and your own music and that can be a lot of work to do consistently, you know, week to week. It was exhausting. Uh, and exactly right. Like you said, tell me how, how tired you were doing that and that, you know, you, that, the other thing we look at was can you do this long term and repeat it long term and a lot of people who start on YouTube pick formats or pick um, elements around their shows that are very hard to be consistent with also it's hard to do that with only two people yes if you're going to commit to weekly which we did yeah. and it was literally write the script so Ashwin would start by writing the script mm. usually what the day after I uploaded the videos to yeah. Facebook and YouTube so you would immediately start writing the script send it to me within a couple two or three days I would then do a rewrite we would come together, rehearse a few pieces on the night of filming, 
yeah. film it just with a tripod, my iPhone, no microphones. No, and that might be one element. The sound wasn't brilliant. No. Like, so it sounded a little bit tinny. It's, yeah, we were using your phone yeah. as a recorder, so we had that closer to us that was hidden off camera. And it was literally have the script in front of us off camera so we could read from it, memorize whatever we can. And then I had five days to then do the effects, fix the sound, obviously edit it all together. It was so exhausting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and that is it, it's a, something we see happen all the time as creators have burnout because the format they've selected is so tricky to manage. Um, and that's creators who, you know, <laughs> even have big audiences, mm-hmm. let alone creators who are trying to develop their audiences and having to put all that time and effort into it. Um, but yeah, so it's about looking at that format, the consistency, uh, making sure that delivery is something that you can achieve. So even a great team with great chemistry um, and, you know, some great comedy talent can often run into issues just like you guys yes. did. You said something interesting before, Ashwin, about, you know, the two Christians made it a very clean video and song, which was very successful. And in the film world, studios still will push for your PG-13s mm. because you get a wider market and you can advertise more and there's a lot of restrictions, particularly in the US, around when something's R-rated or NC-17 where you're not allowed to advertise at all. So I'm wondering whether there's, and Friday you're probably the best one to answer this, is it the same rules in terms of d- determining success in the YouTube world where if you're an equivalent of a G or PG, you're going to reach wider a wider scope of the public than if you had something with profanity or adult content? Look, that that is a really good question, and it's a question that a lot of creators ask. Um, I think it comes down to there are two components to it. Is Yes, there are obviously the more family-friendly it is, the more likely you are to reach a, a fairly wide group of people just purely based on taste the more niche your taste become um the smaller that group's going to be um and also then there is the whole advertising element around it too where the content has to be yeah uh you know the more family friendly it is the easier it is to get that advertising element into it so um we tend to see you know creators who have those more broader channels you know the vloggers who have a more friendly approach um see a lot more success around that the other thing on that then is that YouTube is so international, mm. whereas, yes, a film or a TV show is international, but the country governs the rating mm. and and what the laws are around promotion. Mm. With YouTube, because your video can go anywhere you want it to, and you can choose which countries it goes to, is there a unif- Is there like one governing body that determines what can be monetized? YouTube is a governing body. So, yeah. ju- so countries have nothing to do with it. There are elements around that that. You know, certain content won't be seen in certain countries. And you're right, in, you know, certain countries where like advertising for alcohol might be banned, you know, that's going to be, it's going to be an issue there. Mm. So, yeah, I think there are restrictions there, but the main restrictions come from YouTube as a, as that platform provider who provide those guidelines. And they've got a tough job because they've got to say, well, we've got to have all these community guidelines. But, you know, the more specific they get and the more they try to sort of hamstring creators, the harder it's for people to create. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough balance. Um, but, yeah, you guys obviously learnt that and we're all working on a new show now, which we won't say that much about, but obviously we've paid attention to the issues you had with the previous one. We've come up with a more simplified format, um, something that's more repeatable, um, takes advantage of your sex and dynamic. Yeah, uh, we're still going to wear the cat mask. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and that um, will be designed as both a, a YouTube show and a podcast as well. 
Um, but yeah, so we're looking forward to, to launching that very soon. I feel like if we had this sexy equipment for World News with Cats, it would have been a yeah. completely different. <laughs> it would have been much more motivating than my so phone <laughs> covered yeah. in chewing gum. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting on a desk. Right. Well, before we wrap it up, uh, can you both give us like what is your one big takeaway from your um, happenings that you've seen with YouTube and your experience with YouTube and online content? Lee, you want to go first? I really didn't want to go first, but okay, <laughs> I suppose it would be get viewed. Um, get viewed? <laughs> you really want to get viewed. Yeah. Uh, come back to me. Let me think about it. Ashra. All right, Ashra. I think it's finding the sweet concept. So just with that radio thing, for instance, last Christmas – we did that Help Me I'm a Comedian where, uh, just to, ex- to illustrate the concept, a comedian comes in, they share a problem that they're suffering with and a psychologist psychoanalyzes them and the audience gets to learn from the comedian's problem but also that's done with humor and it's psychologically insightful. It's a very simple concept but it seems to work. The audience really loves it. So I think it was just the strength of the idea. So I think I've just done so much crap over the last 10 years. It's just finding a sweet idea that's very simple, but people get clearly. Yeah. And teaming that up with the right people and the commitment to making it happen. Yeah. 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 You can't say crap on here. Actually, okay. That's crap. Fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> I, I think the one biggest thing, well, the one that I was thinking of was just simplicity. Write down your assets before you start going to work. Like lay out all the tools that are in front of you before you decide to build the house. Because I think with us, it was too few people, too big a concept too much going on and the time commitment. So once you lay all that out, I think maybe be a bit, I don't want to say be realistic because that sounds a bit boring, but it's just like know what you're capable of doing. From That's from the production point of view, definitely for me. Yeah. Get Great. the biggest bang for your buck. Great. Well, you've had an uh, interesting um, experience in the uh, video and creative industries. You've been a guy who's been doing it for a while. Um, you both split out in different ways. Um, Lee, you're working more with video. Lee, uh, Ashwin, you're working with video and radio at the moment as yes. well and still doing stand-up. Um, and, yeah, it's a mix of all these things because, as you know, the showbiz industry is now so wide with um, the inclusion of short-form content being such a big and massive part of it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting and uh, exciting time going forward. Yeah, I, I do. I still love it. It's just the fact that you get to share what's deep inside. Like you, this, just all the things you're angry about, you get to put them out there to people, and they have to listen. Stand up has that potential, and YouTube has that potential. So it's really good for for self expression and freedom as well. I'd, I've never wanted to have a nine to five job, so my life now is is radio. It's stand up comedy. It's running a business but none of it is working for someone else just sitting in a corner office being told what mm. to do. And I think YouTube has a promise of freedom for people mm. as part of a wider mix. But yeah, that's one of the things that really appeals to me. Great. Well, guys, thanks very much for joining us here on The Creator Generation. Oh, thanks. is that the name of the show? It is. <laughs> it I is didn't realize what show. we were coming on to. I thought this was Wild News with <laughs> wild Beasts. With I thought this was completely different. <laughs> Damn. Cool. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, I look forward to seeing your new show very soon. And we will see you next time. Should we go out with a beat? Already. Oh, no, not again. Ashwin and Lee, two very funny guys. Crazy cats. 
had to go. I had to do it. Very nice. Lee will appreciate it. Indeed. Remember to share with the community on the Creator Generation app. And if you want to be a better creator, check out changeacollege.com. Until next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Creator Generation. Look on the mic.